steal, and Puss with the chain. And St. John's takes down number three, Villanova. A signature win for Mike Anderson. Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello, and I am your host, bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's basketball. And I hope everyone has been enjoying their offseason. We have our first episode here in a couple of months since we broke or since we talked about the Julian Champagny uh, news mid in early July. Uh, really wasn't really planning on doing an episode until I would say Big East Media Day to kind of get back into the swing of uh, season number four on this podcast and season number three of the Mike Anderson era. But uh, as things usually go, we have some breaking news uh, today. So I figured I would hop on, do a short little maybe 15, 20 minute podcast, just me, uh, no guests or anything like that, just my thoughts on the topics of the day. The main topic of the day is that we finally know, we finally have a schedule. Uh, we finally know the Red Storm's complete schedule. We knew a few weeks ago uh, who they would be playing in the non-conference. We know the big non-conference games, Kansas, Pitt, uh, at Indiana in the Gavit games. So some interesting games there. But obviously what we were really hoping for was the release of the Big East schedule. And we got that on Thursday. So I will touch on that. I'll give my thoughts on that. Uh, and I have plenty of thoughts on that, both from St. John's and uh, the conference as a whole. The other big topic that I have to get to today, and it's a little bit less of a uh, lighthearted one, a little bit more serious, is this morning, uh, ex-St. John's assistant coach, Steve DeMeo, filing a lawsuit against both St. John's University and against Mike Anderson, a wrongful termination lawsuit uh, due to a health condition that he claims that, or that he does have, uh, that he claims led to his uh, termination in June. He also, as Zach Braziller mentioned in his article, decided to air some dirty laundry from the program from this past season, some pretty big allegations uh, of some internal strife within the team. Uh, The team, according to him, allegedly ready to walk out on Coach Anderson uh, late in the season. You know, some some, uh, COVID issues as well with, with the team not following protocols, the team not wanting to play for Anderson in the NIT. So DeMeo has a lot of allegations that I will uh, get to and give my brief thoughts on. You know, I don't I don't have any inside information on that, obviously. So I'm going to try to keep that kind of as uh, short and sweet as I can. But let's go first into the Red Storm's Big East schedule for the 2021-2022 season. And the first thing that jumps out at me, really because uh, I'm sure I'm like everyone else, is I look at the schedule and I look at the home dates and I look at who are they playing at home and when are they playing them at home so I can mark off my calendar to get to as many games as I can, especially after last season when none of us could go to any games. Uh, the first thing that I notice is six games at Carnesec Arena this season out of the 10 home games that they will play uh, for St. John's. They'll play their opener on Thursday, December 23rd against Butler. They'll play Marquette on Wednesday, December 29th, and DePaul on Wednesday, January 5th, all at Carnesec Arena. So they won't play a Madison Square Garden game until their fourth Big East home game of the year when they will face Georgetown uh, on Sunday, January 16th. 
that is. Now, you know, you look at the Carneseca Arena games, Butler being at Carneseca is not shocking. Marquette, not terribly shocking. They've played them at Carneseca a few times. DePaul, they've played uh, many times at Carneseca Arena. Providence, you love seeing them play Providence at Carneseca Arena because you know you know that it uh, pushes Ed Cooley's buttons. You know that Ed Cooley wants to be playing at Madison Square Garden. So I love when we play uh, Providence at Carneseca. Uh, Creighton at Carneseca. We had that big upset over Creighton two years ago at Carneseca and Xavier. So the only MSG home games this season will be Marquette, Seton Hall, Villanova, and Connecticut. The four, really the big four uh, home games that they will have will all be at the Garden. But frankly, as as I am, I am a Madison Square Garden season ticket holder. I'm not a, a full season ticket holder for St. John's. I only have tickets to the Garden games. As someone who only has tickets to the Garden Games, I feel a little bit ripped off here, to be completely honest, uh, that I'm only getting four Big East home games this season. And obviously, I get the one game. I think they're playing Pitt at the Garden, I believe. So I'll get an extra game. Um, I got early access to the game at UBS against Kansas, which is nice. So I'll end up getting my you know normal amount of games, but only four games at the Garden, and I believe two of which are at are on the weekend or on are on week or no just one one game Villanova is on a weekday, um, as a Big East or as a Madison Square Garden season ticket holder, I feel like I'm not entirely getting my money's worth here for what I paid for this season. That I'm only getting four Big East home games, and this is coming from someone myself who has been very vocal in the past about playing more games at Carnesec Arena. So I guess this is kind of what I get, right? I, you know, I, I preach for, for months and months and months about how I wanted to see them playing more and more and more Big East home games at Carnesec Arena. Well, I guess, you know, be careful what you wish for because I did get that now. And, um, you know, as a, as a Madison Square Garden season ticket holder, I'm a little bit upset. But as a St. John's fan, I have to say I kind of like it. You know, I kind of like playing more games at Carnesec Arena, um, playing, you know, these lesser teams at Carnesec Arena. You know, you know they, they're always going to play a team like DePaul, although in the past they have played DePaul at the Garden. Um, you know, teams like Butler and Crane and Marquette, they're going to get cycled through at Carnesec a lot. You know that. But, you know, I just feel like the home court advantage at Carnesec Arena is just so much more than it would be at the Garden. You know, in terms of just the, the, the crowd intensity, the 100% of the crowd being behind St. John's, uh, I feel like the Carnesec Arena, when it's rocking, is is one of the toughest places to play in the Big East. So I like that they're playing uh, a majority of their Big East games at Carnesec Arena. Again, as a fan who has the tickets to the Garden games, I'm not too thrilled about that. But still, they will be playing the big teams at the Garden, Georgetown, uh, Seton Hall, Villanova and Connecticut at the Garden. So I, I can't totally uh, complain about that, but that jumped off the page of me right away is that they will be playing a majority of their games at Carnegie Arena for the first time since since I can remember, at least, that they've played uh, that many Big East home games uh, at Carnegie So that's certainly the first thing that jumps out. The second thing that jumps out to me is how presumably easy this schedule starts up for St. John's. You know, you look at these first five games – and you have to look and say, I think that they can win or they will have a shot to win every single one of these. And to be honest, with uh, the expectations that we have, excuse me, for this team this season, I think that you're going to go into almost every game thinking we have a shot to win this game. But at Seton Hall, home against Butler, home against Marquette, at Georgetown, and then home against Nepal. That's a stretch that you have to go, in my opinion, 4-1. and one. 
to open Big East play. You have to get off to a good start this season in Big East play. Um, if you read Zach Braziller's article, he did a quick uh, couple of takeaways on the schedule release. And one thing that he noted is that St. John's has not had a winning start to Big East play through five games since I believe it was 2011-2012. I'll do you one better. St. John's, since the new Big East formed, which is in 2013-14, that season, in those eight seasons, St. John's has seven total wins in their first five games of Big East play. St. John's, since the new Big East formed, over the first five games of Big East play each season, is 7-33. and 33. That's basically worse than one win per year through five games. They've gone 2-3 two, two times. They've gone 0 and 5 three times. And every other year they've been 1 and 4. That's not going to cut it this year. 2 and 3 is not going to cut it this year. 1 and 4 and 0 and 5 are certainly not going to cut it this year. You look at the five teams that they open up against at Seton Hall, tough game, winnable game, but a tough game at that. Uh, Home against Butler, home against Marquette, at Georgetown, and home against DePaul. Butler should be decent. They obviously bring back essentially their entire team. Marquette does not scare me at all. And then Georgetown and DePaul don't scare me at all. I mean, Marquette, Georgetown, and DePaul could very well be teams 9, 10, and 11 in the conference this season, depending on what you think of Marquette. Georgetown and DePaul will certainly be 10 and 11 in the conference. If there's ever a season for St. John's to get off to a 4 and 1 or even a 5 and 0 type start in Big East play, it's this one. And you know, what has been the story of every single Big East season that we've seen basically since this the new Big East formed, right? It's been a terrible start. It's been a really hot, you know, or, or in some seasons, it's been really hot through, you know, January into February, and then usually fading off somewhere in late February and March. That's what we saw last year. That's what we've seen many times in the past. But the one constant has been a slow start. This is the year now, and, and Big East, the Big East has finally done you some favors here. This is the year now that you get off to a good start, that you put together four wins out of your first five. And then you kind of try to, you know, don't tread water, but, you know, play a couple games over 500 for your final uh, 15 games of the season and go out and win, you know, 12, 13 games in the conference. You know, if you're starting four and one to go 12 and eight, you got to go eight and seven the rest of the way. That's not crazy, you know, to, to win 12 games in the conference, you know, to win 13 games in the conference. It's not crazy, but that's the first, that's the second thing that I noticed really is the first five games of this schedule are not that difficult. What is difficult is a six-game stretch from January 29th to February 16th, where if you can win three of those games, I think you're you're ecstatic. If you can, you know, go three and three in this stretch, I think you'd be ecstatic as a St. John's fan. When you play at Villanova on January 29th, home against Providence February 1st, at Butler February 5th. Home against Villanova, February 8th. Home against UConn, February 13th. And at Xavier on February 16th. Uh, Three home games, three road games there. Those three road games are real, real tough. You know, at Villanova, St. John's has obviously not had very much success on the road against Villanova. Stands for uh, one year, a couple of years ago. You know Villanova is going to be a top five team. That's late in conference play when they're starting to kind of come together. That's going to be a very tough game. At Butler... 
you know, Hinkle Fieldhouse has been a house of horrors for St. John's, including last year. Butler, like I just mentioned, is going to, you know, bring back a lot of their team. They're going to be an older team. You know, it's going to be a tough game to play. And then at Xavier, you talk about a house of horrors. That is a real house of horrors for St. John's. They haven't beat Xavier since 2015 on the road. So real, real tough, you know, road games there. The home games, home against Providence, home against Villanova, and then home against UConn. Again, I just mentioned uh, Villanova. You know that they're going to be a top five team. Luckily, that is on a Tuesday night. So hopefully, you know, maybe that keeps the yuppie Villanova fans out. But I could see a lot of them coming from their Wall Street jobs and heading over to the Garden in their suits and ties. So I don't know about that on Tuesday, February 8th. Uh, UConn, UConn's first game at the Garden that uh, unfortunately I think that's probably going to be you know a 50-50 type crowd on a Sunday as well I believe that might actually be Super Bowl Sunday as well February 13th um, that's going to be a tough game and Providence at Carnestec Arena doesn't entirely scare me I mean in that six game stretch I think the Providence home game is really the must win to be honest if you're going to try to scrape together three wins there I think you got to beat Providence at home just to go three and three in that stretch but that is a really really tough stretch uh, for St. John's, you know, going from Villanova uh, on on January 29th all the way through to Xavier on February 16th. But I mean, you know, I don't want to do the Mike and the Mad Dog run through every single game here. But you know, if you can start five and one or four and one, and if you can figure out a way to go three and three in that six game stretch that I just mentioned, that's seven and four. You know, and then in the other uh, nine games of your schedule, if you can just go, you know, five and four or even six and three. In the other, you know, uh, nine games, that's 13 conference wins right there. And that is no doubt a uh, NCAA tournament berth if you win, you know, 12 or 13 in this conference, given that you'll probably win, you know, anywhere from 10 to 11 in the non-conference as well. You're looking at 22 uh, to 23 wins, which is a not only a tournament team, but, you know, a tournament team that could be, you know, a, a 7, 8, 9 seed or a 10 seed somewhere in that range uh, if you're able to get up to that many wins. So it's fun. We actually have dates now to go along with the games. Um, we'll get the times later on, but uh, definitely, you know, good to to finally have uh, some, you know, concrete dates set in for the schedule. And it's fun. You know, we are what about a little less than two months away or really a month and a half away uh, from the opener against Mississippi Valley State on uh, on November 9th. So I think we're under 50 days now away from that. So that's that. Uh, moving on, I just want to you know briefly get to the lawsuit that was filed today by um, former assistant coach Steve DeMeo against the Red Storm uh, men's basketball team and against, or I guess against the university and against uh, head coach Mike Anderson. DeMeo alleges wrongful termination. Uh, he has a heart condition. He alleges that St. John's was not willing to make accommodations for him to take time away from the team to attend procedures and um, appointments in regards to that health condition. He believes that that led to his termination from the school in June. Uh, he was replaced by Greg Shoes Retrone, and he believes that that is why he now has, has his wrongful termination lawsuit. Um, before I you know, say anything on that. I just want to note again, I'm not in any way affiliated with the university or with the men's uh, Red Storm men's basketball team. Uh, these are my opinions on this. This is not, like I said, I'm not, this podcast is not run by the school. This is not run by the team. This is me um, speaking. My opinion on this does not reflect the university whatsoever. I do not work for the university. I do not work for St. John's in any capacity. I just want to get that out there. Um, the lawsuit states though, that um, the, the the juicy part of this lawsuit, at least from the fans' perspective, is that 
Anderson allegedly lost control of this locker room towards the end of the season. He allegedly had a lot of strife with players, including or mostly it seems like Isaiah Moore, who has since uh, left the program. Um, it alleges that in March on a March 6th game against Seton Hall, Anderson threatened to uh, kick more off the team or did kick more off the team. Uh, at halftime of that game. Remember, that was the game that St. John's trailed 18-0 in the first couple of minutes, rallied to win that game 81-71. It alleges that Moore was kicked off the team at halftime, that the rest of the team, um, it says, banded together to say that they would not play the second half in protest. Anderson then allowed Moore to return to the team. He did not play in the second half of that game. St. John's went on to win that game. Moore then did not play uh, in the Big East tournament game. I believe that was due to at the time, they said COVID-19 protocols. I don't remember if they had amended that at all, but he did not play in the Big East tournament. That ended up being his last game, and then uh, he transferred out of the program to Southern Miss uh, later or later in the offseason. It also The lawsuit also alleges that Anderson tried to kick Moore off the team two days later at a practice. The team refused to practice. Moore was then reinstated, um, and then obviously did not play in the Big East tournament game. And then the team obviously ended up losing and that was the end of it. It then says that St. John's didn't want to play in the NIT because of them not wanting to play for Anderson anymore. Uh, the, the, Reasoning being that they didn't want to play because of the COVID-19 protocols, it says here, was a false excuse to protect Mr. Anderson because his team simply did not want to play for him anymore. That's what it says in the lawsuit from uh, DeMeo. Now, it is worth noting DeMeo was uh, the recruiter for Isaiah Moore, so I'm sure that he has a better relationship with Moore than Anderson did. Um, it's also worth noting that you know Isaiah Moore... Uh, I don't want to say is, is not innocent in this <clears throat> by any means. Um, you know, Moore certainly has shown his immaturity on social media, most notably. Um, he was suspended earlier in the season. He really, right after he left the school, uh, seemed like he was, you know, rather immature on social media, I'll say. So I think that's kind of worth noting as well. But, you know, looking at this from, again, just a fan's perspective here, this is all the information that I have is really in the articles that I've read. Do I believe that the allegations in terms of the of the culture are totally false? No, I think that there is some truth to them for sure. Um, do I believe that they were certainly embellished a little bit in the lawsuit to make DeMeo look kind of like this hero that was banding the team together and Anderson look like this villain that they all hated? Yes, I do believe that. So I think that there is some truth to this. Listen, no matter you know how big of a, of a St. John's fan you are, you have to admit there was some 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 clear something going on here because of obviously now this seven players transferring eight if you want to count David Carraher the issues with Isaiah Moore um, the report from Zach Braziller that you know there was some jealousy involved between the New York City kids kind of getting the more the more of the spotlight during the season there was something going on there I think that we all can admit that. Was it to the level that DeMeo alleges where the team, you know, was going to revolt against Anderson? I don't think so. You know, I think if it was that bad, I don't think Posh Alexander would be back. 
you know, if Posh Alexander hated the culture so much, Posh Alexander could go and, and play at Ohio State like like that uh, fake report came out. Posh Alexander could have played anywhere in the country if you want to. Julian Champagny probably would have gone pro and got drafted if he really wanted to, if he hated the culture here so much. Or he could have transferred and gone somewhere else if he really wanted to. You know, do I believe that, you know, so so I just don't see that being accurate, that that the culture was that bad that everyone was gone. I think that Anderson probably, if I had to guess, favored his guys, favored the guys that he brought in. Posh, Julian, Wusu, you know, those guys. Moore was seemingly DeMeo's guy. You know, a lot of the players that left were different coaches' guys or were Mullins' guys. You know, Erlington, Roberts, uh, Greg Williams, those are Mullins' guys. So, you know, Rasheem Dunn, Mullins guy. Those those are all guy or no, Dunn was not. But what I'm saying is, you know, there was something going on here for sure, I think. I don't think that it was to the level that DeMeo alleges, but I think that there was something um, going on here. But again, you know, that March 6th game that he he notes when St. John's was down 18-0, you know, that was one of the most emotional wins of the season for St. John's. You know, that was a game that they rallied from 18 points down early to really cruise in the second half of that game. If you're telling me that, you know, 15 minutes before they took the court in the second half, they were ready to sit out the rest of the of the game and presumably the rest of the season, their play on the court certainly didn't reflect that when they, you know, rallied to beat Seton Hall in the second half of that game. You know, if, if, if St. John's led by 18 at halftime, let's say, and blew that lead and Seton Hall came back and won that game, then I'd say, all right, maybe there's there's some you know validity to this. But just judging by the flow of that game, I don't think so. And look at how they played in the Big East tournament. It wasn't like they were dogging it in the Big East tournament. You know, there was never we 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 spoke on this all throughout this this season or last season on this podcast. There was never an effort issue with this team. This team it always felt like was given 110% uh, effort or 100% effort every single game. So that part of the allegation of, of the whole team wanting to revolt against him, again, I, I just don't see how that was accurate. But I do think that there probably was some favoritism uh, from Anderson and maybe the rest of the staff towards maybe the local kid, the you know the, the top players on this team. I don't know. Maybe that's – I would assume, though, that that was accurate. One other thing I want to note, too, is the – um, the note in here, I want to find it in the article that says the um, alleging disputes between players and the coaching staff, as well as lax enforcement of COVID-19 safety protocols. Now, St. John's was one of was the only Big East school to not have a COVID-19 pause uh, this last season. St. John's is very one of very few Division One schools as a whole to not have a pause at all. They didn't have one positive test the entire season. So to say that, I mean, that wasn't, I don't think that was a quote. I believe that was just written by the author of this article, the lax enforcement of COVID-19 safety protocols. But, you know, that I don't believe at all. You know, all that you heard from everyone was was St. John's was one of the best in the in the country at keeping its players safe. So I don't like that as well. And that kind of undermines what everything else was written, because that's one of the first things that I read in the article was that St. John's wasn't enforcing COVID-19 protocols. You know, again, I, I know that part of it is is luck and, you know, the, the virus was not, you know, in, in terms of, you know, fairness, um, I'm sure. But that one, that kind of struck me as odd as well. But again, I, I do think that there is some truth to that for sure. 
you know, you don't have such roster turnover. You don't have your roster implode without some sort of a, you know, culture issue, I guess you could say. For sure. There's no denying that. Do I believe that it was as sinister as it's made out to be in this in this lawsuit? No, not at all. But I do believe that there was some issues. And I guess we're going to have to, you know, wait and see to find out if this is true or not. I guess we'll see this season as well uh, how this team plays. But, you know, for Mike Anderson, it, it seems like it's never been, you know, I've never heard former players criticize him for uh, his, you know, team's effort or his culture. So, you know, maybe I'm looking at this with some rose, rose-colored glasses, but I, I, I do, you know, see that there could have been issues in this. I just don't think that they were to the level that uh, DeMeo uh, argues in this in this lawsuit. But again, uh, we will see about that. We'll see, you know, in, in the coming, I guess, months uh, where this lawsuit goes. It's going to be something now that hangs over uh, this, this program for a while. Luckily, it's not, you know, too serious, but it's, it is something that's an issue for sure. Um, and you hope that you know, whatever the issues were have been fixed in terms of Anderson and, and his handling of uh, of the players. But yeah, just wanted to, to briefly touch on that and, and, and give my thoughts on that. Again, um, I'm not in any way connected to the university. This is not a, a university-run podcast. This is uh, me, Troy Moriello, speaking my thoughts on it and, and no one else's. So just don't want don't want to get that confused. But yeah, that's my thoughts on the schedule and that's my thoughts on... Um, the DeMeo lawsuit that was filed today. So that's that. Um, I will be back. I believe the next episode I'll do will be Big East Media Day. Uh, I'm going to try to do an episode that day with some quotes from Anderson from the players. I wonder, um, I'm assuming they won't talk about the lawsuit at all during that, but uh, we'll get some quotes from that. I'm assuming they're going to probably send Posh and Julian. So we'll hopefully, you know, get something lined up with those guys and That'll, you know, kind of kick off the season. Then then we'll be doing, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll do a preview with Zach Braziller. And then we will get into, again, our usual, uh, you know, one one or two podcasts a week during the regular season. We're, you know, under, under 50 days now. Cannot wait. Cannot wait to bring more content on this podcast uh, throughout the season for season number four. This kind of officially kicks off season number four. So happy to do it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hope everyone has been enjoying their off season. Can't wait to get back at it. And let's go, Johnnies.